1: comes from the liturgical calendar. It represents the weeks between the end of Christmas season and the beginning of Lent, as well as the weeks following Pentecost Sunday and the first Sunday of Advent. Ordinary time, according to those who follow it, is the period in which the faithful live not in feasting or penance, but in watchfulness and expectation in her poem, The Ordinary Time, Dana Littlepage Smith directs our attention to creatures and phenomena that belong to a more common understanding of the ordinary, the usual, the commonplace, what comes naturally, being in the day to day. Her poem invites us to find healing and affirmation by simply being present and by attending to the actors and the events of everyday life. The ordinary time. Goldfish in the horse trough nibble at morning's surface. They are not busy. They're breathing. The sparrow threading straw under the eave lifts whips of time to his mate's music. This is the opposite of busyness. Birds, even singing, can be the architects of our silence. Would you be healed by being? Then be here. Of course, that's obvious, isn't it? There is no other where. Last night, the horse laughing in the field grunted me to still standing. So I stood and listened after my friend went to bed, having asked me, without wheedling or pleading, can you make me feel not like a failure? I can't, I said. But I can advise you to watch the wagtail drop from this eve, like the plumb line of rain following. It doesn't fret about the minutiae of rising. When needed, it rises. Little Page's poem directs our attention to the ordinary, birds building nests, horses laughing, fish nibbling, and see what arises in us. And even just for a moment, set aside our feelings of failure and frettedness and allow ourselves to sink into the ordinary beauty that surrounds us. Think of the silkworm meditatively munching away on those mulberry leaves. I am not a strict follower of the liturgical calendar. My relationship to time and being is rooted in the seasons, the slow turning of summer to fall, fall to winter, winter to spring and back again. The seasons offer a standing invitation to explore the ordinary, to go deeper into the rhythms that each season brings. I've not had the pleasure of spending a year swimming in an estuary, but I have experienced the feeling of stillness that Hanlon describes, where I feel myself inhabited in time No doubt you've had those moments, too, aware of Earth's turning, gravity's pull, but somehow steeped in the stillness as you slowly circle through time. Now, Wendy and I just returned from a month on the East Coast, spending time on the Kennebec River in the little town of Bodenham, Maine. We spent our time observing the river, the tidal shifts and flow of the currents, the sun like sifting through the trees and resting atop the wild rice growing in the water. Late afternoons, we listened to the distant thunder roll in. We kayaked and swam in the river, watched eagles and osprey fly, and sturgeon six feet long jump in the river from the river and then nosedive back in. Spending time on the river, life slows down, and our days adjust to the tidal rhythm, the seemingly easeful inhalation and exhalation of the water. Over time, we settle in and sink down while riding the curve. Time had not stopped, but we grew still. I sat in my rocking chair, immersed in Hanlon's story, There is no absolute pause, she writes, just just as, as there is no actual hiatus at the top of the tide. But it's deeply ingrained in humans to seek out a still point in a spinning world. But these days, stillness seems hard to find. Instead of slowing down, we move at an accelerated pace. We are living in extraordinary times, nature's rhythms ravaged by industrial industrial proliferation and pollution, human greed, and thoughtlessness. We are faced with fires, floods, droughts, heat, resulting in great poverty, human suffering, and a depletion of resources that exhausts our planet. Nature, it seems, has grown weary, tired of forgiving our trespasses. We know this is a time for action. We've known it for years, yet we often feel paralyzed. Part of our paralysis, I think, is the loss of our relationship to ordinary time. How might we find a still point, restore ourselves and our planet? Artists, I find, have a way of helping us look closer in and observe the extraordinariness all around us. On a rainy day, Wendy and I visited Slack Tide, an exhibit by painters Caroline and John Ruffo. The two spent three months painting the intertidal zone of Popham Beach, one of the most beautiful beaches in Maine. The intertidal zone refers to the area that is covered and revealed as the tide comes in and out. The moment of pause between high and low when the water is without current or stress. The intertidal zone is an ecologically rich and precious littoral zone, meaning the zone between the high and the low marks of the tide. In the spring of 2021, the Rufos gathered their supplies and opened their senses to observe the paint, and observe, to observe and paint. In their artist's statement, they write, we have all experienced the pandemic in different ways, but now that our part of the world is beginning to reopen, we want to pause and reflect, being caught up in the current of our lives. We have had an opportunity to examine our values relating to social justice, among other things, the environment, the need for spiritual retreat and recovery. We hope this show gives you a space for reflection similar to the space that can be found on a long walk along the beach. The paintings capture the endless beauty found in the ordinary. A myriad of watery blues and soft grays and opalescent yellow swirling inside a clamshell. The varying moods of sky and water. Two lonely beach chairs. A battered fence catches the sun. Serrated light marks the spot in the sand. Tide and time move. But there is a stillness, and you feel yourself sink in. In the tension of the tide, be it ocean or tidal river or estuary, you find what the biologist Dorothy Borse calls edge ecologies, the place where land and water meet. Things that happen in an edge ecology don't happen anywhere else. Borst listens and looks for the rich ecotones found in the edge ecologies like salt marshes and tidal waters, these special places where the two households live in a sort of fertile sort of tension. Here is more than two-thirds of marine fish start their life. These watersheds are a gathering place, a commons, if you will, where life is formed and forming. Out of ordinary rock, mud, the comings and goings of salt and fresh water, the deep roots of cordgrass and other plant life. Insect debris, leaf debris, discarded shells embedded in the soil comes the rich oozing and intermingling that holds life together. This is what Hanlon witnessed as she swam into the deep, wet womb of the estuary, leaving her feeling both redeemed and restored. These life-giving commons are essential to our planetary survival. They cleanse and protect. They procreate, building systems that sustain life. They literally hold us together. Think about this. Since colonial time, approximately half of the nation's salt marshes have been dredged, filled, and built upon. In our home state of California, we have lost between 75 to 85% of our original coastal wetlands. Without them, we lose the edge, and the floodwaters rise. But there is still time. Whether you don a wetsuit to swim in the channels of a 25,000-acre estuary, pick up a paintbrush and head to the sea or gently ask your husband to leave the light be while you watch the last brush of gold leave the sky the invitation is the same step into a different relationship with time live in the still point The slack tide gather at the edge of the great commons even if it's just for a moment and feel yourself part of creation the more we sink into ordinary time the better attuned and equipped we are to restore our planet and ourselves now the work of restoration be it personal or planetary requires deep attention Oakland-based artist Jenny O'Dell writes about deep attention in her book, How to Do Nothing. It was early 2017, shortly after Trump's inauguration, and mere months since the horrific ghost ship fire, where so many lives were lost. In the churn of these two events, she was asked to give a keynote talk on art, and technology, I thought about what I could possibly say that would be meaningful in a moment like this, Odell writes. Without knowing what the talk would be, I typed how to do nothing. Shortly after, I decided to ground the talk in a specific place, the Rose Garden in Oakland, a five-minute walk from my house. I did that partly because it was the Rose Garden that I'd been brainstorming my talk, but I had also decided that the garden encompassed everything I wanted to cover, the practice of doing nothing, the architecture of nothing, the importance of public space and an ethics of care and maintenance. What happened in the garden was the beginning of an act of redemption and restoration. What Odell was healing from was what she calls repetitive injury of the spirit the toxic stew of modern life, the impacts of technology that claim so much of our attention, political division and amplification, the structures that strip the earth bare, all in the name of progress. The cumulative cloud of capitalism left her depressed and completely depleted. Odell asked herself, What am I willing or able to refuse for the sake of restoring my humanity? The answer, try doing nothing. In Odell's Odyssey, she learns to seek out contemplative spaces, what she calls attention-holding architecture that nurture and feed body, mind, and spirit. For Odell, it was the rose garden. For me, it's the tidal rivers. For you, maybe it's the mountains or meadows, the open desert, or a deep dive into the sea. Sometimes all it takes is a gaze out the window where you catch the rise and fall of a swallow on summer's eve. Odell writes about the importance of bioregionalism, which is based on observation and recognition of what grows where and is rooted in the cultures of indigenous traditions that live close to the land. It teaches us how to appreciate the complex web of relationships and work to protect them. We learn to identify with place, weaving ourselves into the region through close observation and responsibility to the local ecosystem. Bioregionalism is another way we can learn to live in ordinary time. Faith communities share something in common with bioregions. They too should be, can be, and often are attention holding architectures that seek to nurture the spirit and deepen connections. We are more than a social network. Rather, let's see ourselves as what Odell calls mesh networks, where the focus is deepening our attention and understanding to what holds us together and brings life forward. We need to immerse ourselves in stories and teachings of ancient and ordinary time, out of which the cordgrass grows, the cordgrass and the clams grow, the redwood takes root, and the slack tides continue to turn. The need for personal, spiritual, and ecological repair is now. It is time we stepped in to do the holy work of spiritual and ecological restoration. Let us begin by settling in and resting in the still point as we go round and round this extraordinary spinning world. May it be so.
0: Years ago, while visiting a high school friend's house, he asked me if I'd like to see his mother's special hobby. Sure, I said. He reached into a closet and carefully pulled out a large black lacquered box. Then he slowly slid the top back. All I saw was a bed of green leaves that reminded me of bay trees But then, as he held the box for me, in the quiet, I could hear them before I could see them. A soft munching sound that drifted up from the leaves. Silkworms. Wow, I thought, uh, what's that like? Day in and day out, munching on green mulberry leaves in a cool, beautiful box. You look around and you're surrounded by your brothers and your sisters friends, and colleagues, munching away. It's so peaceful and reassuring. Then one day, while munching on all those delicious leaves, something shifts. They just don't taste the same. Whoa, I never noticed that before. And just like that, you can't unnotice it, and things begin to change. My friend told me that at the right time, the worms form a translucent chrysalis, and that right before your eyes, you can witness their transmutation from worm to pupa. If you know what you're looking at, you can see them change. It sounded beautiful and horrifying all at the same time. Is that really true? I thought. Where's a sixth grader when you need one? I I do think it's possible to see change happening. I can feel it. For me, this is no ordinary time. I move through my days with different energy, a kind of urgency. No longer do years stretch before me incomprehensible in their length. Today, I can almost feel the hours slipping through my fingers, no matter how tightly I cut my hands. Today, I feel a little like I'm in my own chrysalis, my own in-between time, undergoing my own transmutation. My clothes don't fit the way they used to. I don't like my shoes. My neck no longer smooth and supple, and I can't make it the same anymore. The familiar sights and sounds, they just don't soothe like they used to, and I can't control any of it. And I hear a stirring amongst my brothers and my sisters, friends, and colleagues. They know it too. A season has shifted and a different time is coming. You know, there's a lot going on in that box, my friend told me, as he slid the top back on. And you have to keep the leaves fresh or the worms die, he said. My mom told me that. Last week, I was staring out of a big picture window up at a beautiful sky turning from blue to orange and deepening into twilight. A tangle of wires crisscrossed my view and in the distance, a jetliner twinkled by. If I stay here much longer, I thought, I'll be in total darkness. Do you need some light? My husband Bill asked. No. Not just yet, I answer. They say all good things come to those who wait. Well, I'm waiting, and something inside me tells me if I'm going to make a difference in my life, I'm the one who has to make that difference. But right now, in this moment, I'm waiting. And then I remember what my friend said to me so many years ago, that there's a lot going on inside of that box, Richard. And I think I understand now what his mother knew then. Keep the leaves fresh, Richard. Your time is coming. The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to UUSF.org. O-R-G